Good morning, again. Please turn your Bibles to Revelation chapter 22. Preaching the last section of the Bible today. We finished it. Uh, next week we will be in Genesis, I believe, right? Just to start back over. And uh, I still have a job next week, right? <laughs> I appreciate people's concern. I've had a cold over the last couple of weeks, as some of you know, and uh, a cold hits me like the plague hits a normal person. Um, and uh, so I appreciate people's concern and prayers. Uh, Vikings play today. Since I moved to Minnesota, the Vikings have yet to lose a game. And uh, I can't take all the credit, but... I'm very excited. But uh, Revelation chapter 2, um, I'm actually going to start in verse 6 um, and just through the end of the chapter. And he said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers the prophets and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. But the evildoers still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes, so that they may have the right to the tree of life, and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside of the dogs and the sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, for your entire Bible, Lord. We thank you for your, this time in Revelation to study this wonderful book, the last book of your scripture. I pray for this message today, Lord, that it can once again point us to life in Christ and an excitement over your return. I pray for the fellowship within this church. I pray for the community here, Lord, that we can shine your light in a dark world. I pray for areas that have been affected by Hurricane Matthew, Lord. I pray 
for healing for those who have been injured. I pray for comfort for families who have lost loved ones. I pray for rebuilding for what has been torn down. I also want to pray for David Rutberg, Lord, and for his family in the tragic passing of him this week. And Lord, I just pray that you can be with them in this unimaginable tragedy. In Jesus' name, amen. passage throughout the week, you read it over and over and over and over again. So all week I kept reading, surely I'm coming soon. And at a certain point I started to think, that's great. And don't call me Shirley. <laughs> In this chapter, we come to the final section of the Holy Bible, the last chapter of the last book. I mentioned before that the Bible has 1,189 chapters. 66 books. It's the story of God's redemption of humanity. We see God's continued faithfulness to his people in spite of sin. We see God's standards of holiness. We see remarkable consistency in the scriptures as they build upon each other and reference each other. It's the greatest book ever written. Now, that's an opinion. It's the most influential book ever written. I don't think that's up for debate. It's influenced cultures and empires, ethical beliefs and languages and art. And again, we come to the last section, the last section of the last chapter of the last book. If you look at these verses, at first glance, it can appear to just be some random thoughts. But this isn't the Bible's junk drawer. It's not that there were just a few closing thoughts and they had to be stuck somewhere, so just threw them all at the end. This is the last chapter of God's Word. The next message that humanity will receive from God will be when Jesus himself has returned. And in these last words of the Holy Scripture, we are reminded of the certain return of Christ. Running all throughout this passage, the thread that holds these verses together is the return of Christ. And the main idea, really, of these verses is life and expectancy of the return of Christ. There are five points I want to make this morning. First point, chapter 22, verses 6 and 7. So as the book of Revelation and the Bible as a whole come to a close, we are told that these words are trustworthy and true. The words that are being referred to are the entire book of Revelation. As the verse continues, it affirms that it is the Lord who has sent his angel to inform us of what must soon take place. In verse 7, we have the words of Christ. Behold, I am coming soon. This is the first promise of the return of Christ in this chapter. And because the words of this revelation are trustworthy and true we can have confidence that Jesus is returning. Because Jesus is trustworthy and true, we can trust his word. The word soon being used here is subject to some controversy, considering it's been 2,000 years almost. Last week, Pastor Eric brought up a good point that 
In heaven, for God, a thousand years is like a day. Also something to keep in mind with the return of Christ being soon. Look at it like this. The Old Testament is constantly pointing forward. It points forward to the Messiah, Jesus. The Old Testament points forward to the type of ministry he would have, the healing that would come from him. The Old Testament and Jesus both point to giving the Holy Spirit to the believers, constantly pointing to what's coming next. But aside from the end of times and the return of Christ, there are no other events in the Bible that it's pointing forward to aside from the end times and the return of Christ. Also, when the events happen, when persecutions begin to happen, the return of Christ will come quickly. The Bible says he will come like a thief in the night at a time known to no one but God. As the text continues, blessed is the one who keeps the word to the prophecy of this book. Blessed, happy, fortunate, privileged is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book, referring to the book of Revelation. This verse really refers back to the opening chapter, chapter 1, verse 3, where it says, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. The idea of keeping what is written in this book of Revelation is found throughout the book. The implication is in terms of knowing what is in this book and living in observance of what is in this book. Keep the words of Revelation. That includes the major themes of Revelation. That Jesus has died a sacrificial death for those who have faith in him. We see this, among other places, in chapter 1, verses 17 and 18. Fear not, I am the first and the last, and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. We see this running throughout the book. That Jesus has died for you. He has been victorious. He is ruling from heaven. He is coming again. He will judge the living and the dead. We see Jesus ruling the world. We see him ruling his churches. Most notably in the seven letters to the seven churches. We see Christ's sovereign rule over history. We see that the devil attacks Christ's church. In a fallen world, as believers in the message of Christ, we are to live and conduct ourselves in faith with what we see revealed in the Bible. We are to joyfully and expectantly await the return of Christ. We are to take joy in the new heaven and the new earth that the Lord is preparing. We are to be ready. We are to worship the good God who has redeemed us. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. A second point. We live in expectancy of being with Christ when we worship God. Verses 8 and 9. In verse 8, the focus shifts back to John as the speaker. John was the man whom the Lord had chosen and appointed to receive the final revelation about the end times. John has seen some amazing things. He's seen visions of the throne room of God, the events leading up to the return of Christ, the final judgment of Satan, the beast, and the false prophet, the new heaven, the new earth, and the new Jerusalem. 
That's incredible what he's seen. Think about the things we think are worthy of sharing on Facebook. But what John has seen is absolutely astounding. And he's so overwhelmed that he falls down to worship. But we see in verse 8 there's an issue. He's worshiping an angel. If you remember a few weeks ago in chapter 19, there too John is so amazed by a vision that he sees an angel and falls down to worship the angel who's showing him the visions. But here the angel is is quick to correct John. You must not do that, he says in verse 9. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers the prophets and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. The angel says, worship God. He deflects worship from himself. The worship of anything other than God is idolatry. The angel says that he is a fellow servant, just as John is a servant of the Lord. And just like the other prophets of God, we are also servants. The angel includes the faithful Christians who have trusted in God when he talks about those who keep the words of this book. At this point, the angel, and at, at no point, the angel is, is not above any created being. God alone is worthy of worship. Unfortunately, we can make similar mistakes to what John is doing. Well, we might not literally bow down and worship another created being who is serving God. I think we can sometimes give pastors or Christian mentors or popular Christian authors or different preachers who we podcast or watch on TV too much credit. Certainly, it's good to appreciate the ways how a ministry has touched our lives, but to not glorify people. This is something Paul was dealing with when he was writing to the church in Corinth. People in that church were giving Paul and Apollos too much credit. And Paul sets the record straight in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Beginning in verse 5. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. Sometimes we can be so enamored with the writings of a particular Bible teacher or what they say that if it's their opinion, we treat it like that might as well be what the Bible says. But we need to be discerning and reverent. Clearly, the issue isn't just giving someone too much credit. Right worship of God matters. Worshiping the true God who alone is worthy of worship not turning to something that God has created and that God has given to point us to him and worshiping that thing instead of God. Certainly, the situation in which John found himself was one in which it would have been perfectly acceptable and legitimate to respond and be moved to worship. But our worship is to be on God. People who want to act like all roads lead to God or all religions are equally valid. If the book of Revelation is true, that's not true. Jesus is God. He is the one who is sovereign. It is by his blood and his blood alone that we are cleansed. 
The Bible never entertains another way because there is no other way. We're in the final section of the Bible. And the Bible is entirely consistent that it is by faith and faith alone that we are made right with the Lord. A third point. We live in expectancy of being with Christ when we live out our faith. So in our first point, we focused on keeping God's word. And implicit in keeping his word is not just right doctrine, but also right actions. But here, it's more closely, it's more clearly spelled out that the faithful in Christ are to live lives that are representative of the faith that we have in Christ, 22 verses 10 and 11. In verse 10, John is told not to seal up the words of the prophecy of this book. The angel's command might seem odd. Why would John seal up these words? John is told that the revelation that he has, as the vision is coming to an end, God has shown everything that God intends to show. Do not seal up the words of this prophecy so that it can be made available to God's people. Verse 11 is another verse that at first glance can seem almost confusing. Does the text really say, let the evil doers still do evil and the filthy still be filthy? And by filthy, it means those of moral filth. So if you have a neighbor or a coworker or a family member who this applies to, is verse 11 saying, let them go, it doesn't matter? No. I think it might help to look at it on a less individualistic level and to think of it on a more corporate or group level. There will always be people who oppose God and who are wicked. Until the end of the age, there will be those who don't get with God's program. Of course, we should care about teaching and reaching those who aren't walking with the Lord. But we can't rid the world of sin. There will always be those who are opposed to God. But for the person who is in Christ, this verse should be an encouragement. Let the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. We are to continue to live and walk and step with God and his will, persevering in the faith. As Leon Morris says in his commentary on Revelation, the Lord's return is sure and soon. The last word is not with the wicked. In the world that's largely turned its back from God, the faithful to Christ are to live in a way that reflects our faith and love for God. In the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus talks to his believers, his disciples, about how they are to be light in a dark world. Beginning in verse 14 of Matthew 5, he says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Again, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Jesus says that when a person lights a lamp, they don't hide the light away, but they let the light shine. Until Jesus perfects his world, there will be the godly and the godless. Again, that's something that we cannot change. But we can reach individuals. 
Let the righteous still do right and the holy still be holy. Jesus is coming back to our world. Let us not be vanilla about life. Let us not just go through the motions. But as people who know the Lord, that he has promised the first time, he promised he would come into our world, and he was faithful to that at the first advent. He said he would die and rise, and he was faithful to that promise. And he says that he will come again. Let us live as light in the dark world. Let the righteous still be right, and the holy still be holy. Let us continue to walk in the ways of the Lord. In an unbelieving world, in a world that is largely opposed to God, let us not be brought down to that level. Let us, as followers of Christ, rise above and be witnesses to the grace of the Lord in our world. There's so much corruption, so much moral decadence in our world. Follow politics. As we are reminded to not just know the right Bible answer for things, but to live out what we believe as God's community, to live out God's will and to be faithful to his commands. So those are the first three points. I'm living in expectancy of being with Christ. I talked in the beginning about the chapter being the final word in God's word. And if you think about the most important things to emphasize in the Bible, the fourth point should be no surprise. But it revolves around coming to Jesus and trusting in his gospel. Fourth point. Trusting in the gospel. This is foundational. We've talked about living out our faith. But we must have faith in the Lord Jesus who is going to return to be living out that faith. For the second time in this passage, Jesus promises his return. Look at verse 12. Behold, I am coming soon. Jesus talks of judgment, where he says that he will repay everyone for what they have done. Throughout this book, we see the sovereignty of Christ, that Jesus knows all. In visions of judgment, the Lord knows what we believe. If we just say that we believe and don't, God knows. We have to trust in him and what he has done for us. He is repaying people for lives devoted to Christ and lived out by faith in Christ. Jesus is coming soon. And again, that should be a source of joy. The return of Christ is a glorious and wonderful event for those who are in Jesus. It is the earthly reign of Christ and the believers being raised to reign with Christ. And in the new heaven and the new earth and the new Jerusalem. All of these things should make a believer in Jesus optimistic. Things to be looked at with supreme happiness and excitement. So don't dread the return of Christ. Don't think, oh no, not soon. The Vikings are 4 0. I'm just one punch away in my sandwich card from a free sub. Whatever is going on in the lives of the faithful at the return of Christ, it will not be the wrong time. It won't be a bad time. It won't be an inconvenient time. Living in joy and expectancy of the return of Christ, Jesus is coming soon, and everyone will have to give an account. But those who have trusted in Jesus and walked with him will be rewarded. Verse 13, Jesus 
is emphasizing his eternality. He is the Alpha and the Omega. Alpha, the first letter of the Greek alphabet. Omega, the last letter. Jesus is the first and the last. He's the beginning and the end. And because he's the beginning and the end, he's the middle and everything in between. Jesus has always been. It's affirmed here in Revelation and also throughout the New Testament. Verse 14, Jesus talks about the blessedness of those who have been faithful to him. Throughout the book of Revelation, it's been pronouncing blessings. It says, blessed are those who wash their robes. In Revelation 7.14, John talks of a heavenly vision when the faithful are in white robes. John talks of a heavenly vision where the faithful are in white robes. These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Ultimately, this results from faith in Christ and what he has done. It is Jesus who cleanses. And as a result of faith in Christ, we are made clean. And the imagery of washing robes also carries over into being clean from impurities in our fallen world. The verse says in 22.14 that we have the right to the tree of life that we may enter the city gates. The city gates referring to admission into the new Jerusalem, the holy city that the Lord will prepare. The tree of life is mentioned here and also earlier in this chapter. The tree of life showing that again, the new Jerusalem is a renewed Eden. It again reminds us of our destiny and the destiny of all who have been faithful to the Lord. For those who have not, verse 15 reminds of the ultimate judgment. It says, outside of the dogs, and the sorcerers, and the sexually immoral, and murderers, and idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. Now, when the text talks about those people being outside, that means that they are not inside of the new heaven and the new earth. It doesn't mean that they are standing right outside the gates, looking in, making it awkward to enjoy heaven. I like how Graham Osborne puts it in his commentary. They're not in the suburbs of heaven. Jesus begins speaking directly in verse 16. He says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify. He authenticates that the angel is a divine messenger that Jesus has sent. The angel has God's seal of approval. Jesus says, I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. Both of these Old Testament references, referring back to his lineage to King David, the bright morning star, a reference to the book of Numbers. In verse 17, we are again invited to receive the gift of grace from the Lord, though. Again, this is the Bible's final chapter. What are the things that are important to emphasize? One of them is a final invitation to come and receive the gift of grace that Jesus offers. We are invited to come to Christ. The text says, let the one who is thirsty come. And this is a, re a reference to Isaiah 55.1, it says, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Here we are again invited to come to Christ. 
everyone who thirsts. In the Gospel of John, Jesus talks of himself as the living water, and whoever drinks of it will never thirst. What Jesus offers satisfies. It brings life. The text says to take the water of life without price. Jesus freely gives his grace. Jesus came to redeem the world. Come, take the free living water that Jesus offers. Jesus is coming again. Maybe it won't be tomorrow or today. Maybe it won't be in your lifetime. But the Lord who promised to come into the world came into the world. He promised to return, and he will. It is through him and him alone that we can have access to the new heaven that God is making. It is Jesus whose death on the cross for us allows us to walk through the gates of the new Jerusalem. And that offer is still extended to all who accept it. Finally, our fifth point, a warning to preserve the words of the prophecy of this book. We live in expectancy of being with Christ when we preserve his word. And this is similar to the first point we made. So I'm not going to say as much on this point. In verse 18, it says, If anyone adds to the words of the prophecy of this book, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. In verse 19, we are told that if anyone takes away from the words of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city. Certainly, these are dire consequences. To add to or subtract from the word of God would be to teach falsely. To paraphrase G.K. Beale in his commentary, to add or subtract the word of God is to then be adhering to that which is not scriptural. The idea is further solidified in Deuteronomy chapter 4, which clearly serves as a model for this passage in Revelation. Deuteronomy 4 verse 2. You shall not add to the word that I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you. Note that in the Deuteronomy section, the rationale for why you can't add or subtract from the word of God is so that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God. To be a true follower of God is to know his word. To add or subtract from the word of God is to be loyal to something besides God. Further, it is to establish doctrines and theological beliefs that are not rooted in the word of God. Adding or subtracting from the word of God is to change his word. And to change his word makes it no longer God's word. It's the word of man. I'll give one example of how our society subtracts from the word of God. We subtract from the gospel we rather, we subtract the gospel from the word of God. It's a point that I've made before, but it's one that I think is worth mentioning often. Our society likes to proclaim the idea that all that matters is that someone is a good person, regardless of if they have trusted in Jesus or not. But God's word doesn't say that. In fact, the Bible, not only the book of Revelation, but the entire Bible, Nowhere says that. We are taught the opposite. That it is through Christ alone, by his blood alone, that we are reconciled to God. Now maybe a person 
likes the idea that it's up to them. But we don't decide the standards by which God judges. And when we believe theologies that are contrary to the word of God, again, we are trusting in men. We are to trust in God's word, to not add to it or subtract from it. Again, to change God's word around, to twist his words, becomes a form of idolatry. It becomes trusting that thing ahead of God. The first sin of humanity was led into by twisting God's words in the Garden of Eden. When the devil asked, did God really say you can't look at the tree? Well, God had never said that. But beginning to chip away and to contradict and to minimize what God has said. I look at the last two verses in this section as being somewhat of a epilogue to the book of Revelation. For the third time in this section, Jesus again promises to return. Surely I am coming soon. The final words that Jesus says in the Bible. Surely I am coming soon. And we see a response. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. We've talked about living in expectancy of being with Christ. We've talked about keeping God's word, worshiping the true God, living lives of faith, trusting in the gospel, and preserving God's word. Each of these is of monumental significance. Jesus is going to return, and we are to be ready. Perhaps it won't be during your lifetime. But even if it's not, you will be in the presence of Jesus after death, and you will be with him here on earth when he returns. But every day of our lives, let us live in a greater joy and expectancy for an eternity spent in the presence of the Lord. Let us grow with Jesus now. Let us learn about him more and more now in preparation for an eternity with him. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, may we be people who have joyful expectancy for your return. The grace of the Lord be with all. Amen. The grace, the forgiveness, let us trust in that. Let us accept and receive that with joy, Lord. That you have promised your return, you are faithful to your word always. Prepare our hearts, Lord. Every day, let us be people who are committed to growing with you and loving you. Amen.